Good morning, church. Good morning. Good morning. I'm Father Spencer. I'm one of the co-rectors here at the table. I don't know if I had like some bad Cheerios this morning or what's happening, but I'm feeling like extra jittery about my sermon. I can't remember the last time this happened, so I don't know if it's the altar guild's responsibility or who it is, but if I start to look a little shaky, I need somebody to catch me before I hit the top. That's the worship team's job from here on out. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, today we proclaim the good news that in the moments where you don't feel like you have enough, or where you fear that you aren't enough, God's goodness is at work in you more deeply than even you are aware of. More deeply than what your circumstances may suggest. The Divine Spirit is putting your heart back together and is creating righteousness within you. The very life of God is sustaining you and nourishing you and making you new. We have been in the suck for so long now. And it's made us so much more aware of areas where we aren't okay. Zoom calls and lack of normal relationship has exposed and expanded our social anxieties. All of the fighting about masks and vaccines have created new ways for us to distrust people and to feel unsafe around them. Extra time at home? Sounds nice, right? It's exposed how impatient we are with our children. How much we dislike ourselves. It's exacerbated our seasonal depressions. We are not okay, y'all. But today's texts have a lot to say about what it means to not be okay. In Jeremiah it says, Cursed are those who make mere flesh their strength. They turn away from the Lord. They shall be like a shrub in the desert. They'll live in parched, uninhabited salt lands. But blessed are those who trust in the Lord. They'll be like a tree planted by water, sending its roots by the stream. In the year of drought, it is not anxious. And it does not cease to bear fruit. Texts like these push against our white American privileged perspective of what it means to be a Christ follower. A lot of us have received a lens or an idea about what it means to be a Christian is that things go right for you more often than not. That it's going to be okay. Got that great American optimism. But here we see that the good life doesn't mean that you won't face storms or drought. Instead, it means that you will face those, but in those times, your roots that are unseen go beneath the surface to a source that can sustain you and nourish you in the midst of drought. At the end of Jeremiah, it says, the heart is devious above all else. Now, this has been interpreted and used in a lot of different ways, but I don't think that this is a verdict of total depravity or complete wickedness. Instead, I think it's applying deviousness in the same way that Jeremiah does towards God in different parts of the text. Devious meaning always up to more than what we know. At the end of the text it says, who can understand it? We all are familiar with the ways that we can deceive ourselves or how at times even our motives are hidden from ourselves. But also, our hearts can be, unbeknownst to us, co-conspiring with the divine in ways that we aren't even fully aware of yet. God is at work in your heart today, non-coercively, not controlling you, but uncovering what is in the depths of our hearts. 
bringing what's in those depths to your awareness today. And you are invited to consent to the work of the divine in your heart. In moments when you don't have enough, or you fear that you aren't enough, God's goodness is at work even more deeply than you're aware of, more deeply than what your circumstance suggests. The divine spirit is putting your heart back together and creating righteousness within you. The very life of God is sustaining and nourishing you today, making you new. Gregory of Nyssa talks about Psalm 1 as being a map or an overview for all of Psalms, Psalm 2 to 150, kind of charting the course of humanity back from our fallen state here on earth towards what we were created for, a reconciled relationship with God, a life that's tapped into the very life of God. So the Psalms move through, and Psalm 1 moves through lament, grief, praise, obedience, all to a place where we're more fully able to participate in the life of God and embody it. It's a map, it's a course charting the restoration of right relationship with the divine. And it flows through lament and grief, praise and obedience. Your grief is not an obstacle to the God type of life. It's actually ground zero for the inbreaking of the kingdom of heaven in your life today. The text says, the Lord knows the way of the righteous. God knows the way of righteousness even better than the righteous know it themselves. God's not holding up an answer key to our lives with a red pen ready to mark off everything that we've got wrong and maybe give us a failing grade. Instead, he's at work in your heart. He's not checking up on you looking for what you got wrong, but he is sewing and knitting you back together. He's creating righteousness within you. The text says that the way of wickedness is doomed. It won't last forever. And it can't help but undo itself. To make flesh your strength is folly, because flesh dies. To make flesh your strength is cursed, because flesh will be obsolete someday. Evil is trying to twist our hearts to rely on the flesh. We've been taught to have a fear of chaos and loss, poverty and hunger. There's a whole logic of how we can get what we want. And then once you've got it, you have to do everything you can to protect that. And then once we have maybe been compromised or complicit in evil or violence or harm by getting what we want and protecting it, we will unconsciously or consciously do whatever we can to convince ourselves that we haven't sinned, that we haven't done wrong. This is how we come to call evil good and good evil. There's a narrative at work that there's not enough to go around. That you have to do everything you can to get yours and protect it. Power and privilege is the logic of the day. And then we have our passage in Luke, in the Gospel of Luke today, which is Luke's version of the Beatitudes that we received in Matthew. So a bit more concrete, even though in our Sermon on the Mount series a while back we talked about the concreteness even of the Matthew passage. But the concreteness in Luke makes the woes a bit more confusing. The text starts off and says that Jesus came down and stood on a level place with them. They came from all around to hear him and to be healed, and they were healed. And then Jesus turns and looks at the disciples and said, Blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. 
Blessed are the hungry, for you will be filled. Blessed are those who weep, for you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate or exclude you for following Jesus, because that's what people did to the prophets. Woe to you who are rich, for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are laughing now, for you will mourn. Woe to you who are spoken well of, for that's what their ancestors did to the false prophets. There are books to be written about the material ramifications of these blessings and these woes. And thankfully, we're getting ready to start a class on mammon in a couple of weeks. So we're not going to plumb those depths all today. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But church, in this season where we've become so aware of where we lack, where we aren't enough, where we don't have enough, in this season that continues to drag on day after day, where we have hope maybe that in a few months things will look a little bit more normal, but we've said that before as well. In that season, we need to proclaim the good news to one another, just to anger. Blessed are you when the trauma you experience continues to come out sideways, make you feel like you can't get anything done. Blessed are you when you get CC'd on an email from work and you can't stop thinking about it. Blessed are you in your need. We're committed to today being their best life now because there is a source sustaining us that is beyond the material world. That impacts everything about how we live, how we relate to one another, what we do with our money and our jobs. It impacts all of that. It has material consequences. But it is beyond the material world. In our Corinthians passage, we see that even in death, the life of God sustains Christ. And He is resurrected. Church, you are blessed, not in spite of, but in direct relation to the lack that you felt over these past two years. You are blessed in that lack that you're feeling right now, this week. Where is it that you don't feel like you have enough? Where are you at the end of your rope? In moments when you don't have enough or you fear that you aren't enough, God's goodness is at work in you even more deeply than you're aware of, more deeply than what your circumstances may suggest. The divine spirit is putting your heart back together and creating righteousness within you. The very life of God is sustaining and nourishing you and making you new. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.